Good morning, church. How are you today? Nice. Good answer. Uh, my name's Darren. For those of you that might be visiting with us or are new, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we're finishing today. You're catching us at the, the tail end of a study we've been in all summer called The Proverbial Life. We've been looking at the wisdom teachings in the Bible, just some of them, not even all of them, some of the wisdom teachings, and, and trying to understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom practically as it applies into our life. You know, it's possible sometimes to think about our faith simply as the accumulation of knowledge, you know, and getting more information and knowing what the Bible says and being able to sort of rearticulate that. But the Bible is very clear that, that it's not simply about knowing biblical truth, that it's about the way we live it out, that God's calling us to live lives of wisdom. And so each week we've been looking at different aspects of what this proverbial or this wise life looks like. And as we finish that series this morning, I've taken for my topic this morning proverbial choices. Proverbial choices. And um, you know, scientists will say that we, you and I, we, we make some 35,000 conscious and semi-conscious choices per day. Think about that. I mean, you, you probably feel like you're making a choice between, you know, lemonade and iced tea, or maybe you're not even making that choice. Maybe you're just blending them together. I don't know how you do it. But, we, you know, you, you recognize you're making choices about what to wear and where to go to eat, and, you know, you're making choices, but 35,000 choices in a day. And each one of those, as we've talked before, each one of those choices holds potential glory for God. We believe that the Bible teaches that every thought and word and deed and attitude has redemptive potential, that it all has the potential to be a worship moment, that it can all glorify God. And so it makes sense then for us to pay attention to the way we're making those choices, and the Bible teaches that the way in which we judge well, or the way in which we make godly choices is through something called discernment, right? Discernment, the, the ability to judge rightly, the ability to judge well. And the Bible has lots to say on discernment. In fact, even just in the book of Proverbs, there are a lot of places we could have gone. But the idea here is that we're not just being called to make decisions about the difference between right and wrong, or truth and falsehood. Sometimes those are the kinds of things we're having to discern between. But as Pastor Sinclair Ferguson says uh, in, in one of his books, he says, it's not just truth and error or right and wrong we need to discern, but also we have to be able to discern the difference between primary and secondary, like what's better and what's best. We have to be able to determine the difference between the essential and the indifferent, or the essential and the non-essential. We want to be able to discern in our lives and our choices the difference between the permanent and the transient. What's going to last forever and what's only temporal? That ultimately, for the followers of Jesus, the decisions we're making are places where we're having to make a decision about what's better and best, not just what's good and bad, right? And so we have to pay attention to what the scriptures teach us, because many times if we're not being discerning, if we're not making great choices along the way, then we find ourselves winding up in a situation we don't necessarily want to be in, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I remember... Um, when my son William was really little, he was probably like four, I came out of the house one day and we used to have this, uh, this white Nissan Armada. You know, it's like a big, huge Nissan truck. It was the, the truck we bought when we lived in the mountains, four-wheel drive and all that. It was more than we ever needed in the city. But I came out of my house one day and uh, I look over at the Nissan Armada, parked in the driveway, and my four-year-old, Will, has, uh, he's sitting on the roof, right? Not on the hood. He's on the roof of the Armada. He's sitting up there and he has this look of like sheer terror on his face, and I came out, and I, I can't, I don't even know how he got up there, first of all, but I looked at him, and he, and he looked at me, and he goes, Dad, I've been making some terrible decisions, right? 
And uh, I think he's right about that. It, it's not that he necessarily decided to get stuck on the roof of the Armada, but he made one choice that followed another choice that followed another choice, and he found himself in a spot he couldn't get out of. I wonder if there aren't times in your life, you can think of instances immediately where you weren't necessarily being discerning in the moment after the moment after the moment and all of a sudden the culmination of those undiscerning choices resulted in being in a circumstance that you couldn't figure out how to untangle, where you're stuck on the roof of an armada and you're not really sure how to climb down. The Bible says that we have to be discerning. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in a passage that's talking about our ability to discern the difference between true prophets and false prophets, true spirits and false spirits, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. That sounds kind of exhausting, doesn't it? The ability to test every, I'm supposed to test, you know, every shirt I choose to put on and every pair of shoes I choose to buy. Every time I try and make a decision between a BLT or a grilled cheese, I'm supposed to test that every moment? Well, in some degree, yeah, we're supposed to be consciously choosing things in an active way that bring glory to God. That's what discernment is. And the good news for us is that we don't necessarily have to be making those things, uh, you know, this determination moment by moment because the Bible will also teach, as we'll see in a second, the Bible teaches that there is a way to practice discernment and to grow in it, right? But specifically in Proverbs chapter 17, there are lots of different verses I could have chose to be my core text today. I like Proverbs 17, 24 because it kind of makes you sit up and think a little bit, which is what I like, what I wanted today. Proverbs 17, 24, and we just read it. Proverbs 17, 24 says this. It says, the discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. There's a, there's a contrast here, right? The writer is giving us a contrast in this proverb. The discerning sets his face towards wisdom. What does that mean? I mean, we, first we have to sort of establish what in the world he's talking about. What does it mean to set your face towards something? Well, the idea here in setting your face, this is a Semitic idiom that was used all throughout the the, the Jewish culture and is actually used in multiple places in the Bible, but the idea of setting one's face is to set a direction and be determined in it. In fact, we uh, we most famously see this phrase used uh, in describing the, the, the pursuit or the pathway of the Lord Jesus to Jerusalem where he'd be crucified. In Luke chapter nine, you may be familiar with this, but in Luke chapter nine, verse 51, It says, when the days drew near for him, and it's speaking of Jesus, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. What's it describing? Well, it's describing a a resolution and and a a determined aspect of Christ where he's headed towards the cross. He's headed towards his crucifixion and he won't let anything get in his way. He won't be dissuaded. He won't be slowed down. He has set his face and nothing is going to encumber him or distract him from that goal. That's what setting your face is all about. It's about a determinism. It's about being resolute and determined, decisive, to pursue wisdom. Proverbs 17, 24, the discerning person, the discerning man or woman sets his face towards wisdom. It also says in Isaiah chapter 50, the same idea of setting your face. This is a messianic uh, prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 50 verse six says, speaking of Jesus, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. 
I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. Speaking of Jesus, it says that he set his face. What does that mean? It means that he came to the earth with a purpose and he wouldn't let anything get in his way. So when we look at Proverbs 17 and we see this idiom, again, this idea of setting your face, the question for us this morning is, all summer long, we've been talking about different aspects of wisdom, right? We've been talking about different dimensions of wisdom and the way it affects our our work environment, the way it affects our stuff, the way it affects our families, the way it affects our faith. The question becomes, you may have learned a lot about what the Bible teaches on wisdom, but have you personally come to the place where you've set your face towards living that you are resolute towards living a life of wisdom? Because the contrast in Proverbs 17 is this. The discerning person sets their face towards wisdom, but the opposite is the eyes of the fool are traveling to the ends of the earth, right? The eyes of the fool are constantly looking for the next best thing. They're constantly looking for other options. They're constantly looking for other sources of input, right? And we live in a famously distracted world. We live in a world and in a time in which there are more distractions than there have ever been for mankind. On your phone, you can hold an infinite number of things to distract you from the wisdom of God. Right there in your house, you've got all kinds of things to pull you away. And we're constantly listening to all these other inputs, right? We're listening to what the culture says about what we should do with our lives. We're listening to what the movies and the magazines and the music say about what we should do with our lives. We tend to have these eyes that sort of are always roaming for the next best thing. Uh, the, the, The scientists, when referring to young people, they call it FOMO, right? You've heard FOMO? Anybody? No, I'm the only one? Okay, right. Fear of missing out. Somebody must have heard that before. Fear of missing out. And that as you start to kind of dig into Instagram and you start to dig into Facebook, you start to see all the fun things that all of your friends and your neighbors and your family are doing, and you start to feel this anxiety. We've got a great percentage of our young population who are absolutely anxious about the fear of missing out on something good. And so what they want to do then is they want to keep all their options open. Right? They don't want to commit to anything. They don't want to make a decision. They want to keep all their options open in case a better option comes up, right? in case something better comes along. And so what's happening there? Their eyes are set to the ends of the earth. What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What's going to be more fun? What's going to be more entertaining? What's going to be a more exciting experience? There are all kinds of temptations to drift from wisdom, which, which has been provided. That's why when we study the book of Hebrews, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Hebrews 2, 2, 1 says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Remember that? That if we don't focus, if we don't set our face towards what we've been taught, we will wander from the path. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The end of the day, this series we've been in in the the summer won't make any difference if you and I aren't resigned to live the life of wisdom. If we haven't determined to live in accordance to what God's word says. We can know all about wisdom. We can know all about what it says. But until we choose to do it, it makes no difference. Richard Dahlstrom, uh, who's a pastor in Seattle, 
He'll actually be here in a couple of weeks. He's gonna come and teach for us in September. But in his book, uh, Breathing New Life into Faith, Dahlstrom says, uh, he tells this story about um, what it means for a mountaineer or a mountain climber to sort of poke his head out of the tent every morning, right? Every morning you get up before the sun comes up and it's cold and you're tired and your muscles ache and everything's kind of worn down and you poke your head out of the tent and there's this temptation, right? The temptation is to look to the left and just go back down the mountain, back to where it's warm and there's all kinds of restaurants and there's all kinds of movie theaters and there's all kinds of entertainment and it's not difficult. In fact, gravity will help you get back down to the bottom of the mountain. But a true mountain climber, a true person who set his face to the pinnacle, ignores the temptation to go to all of the different distractions and instead turns his face to the right and looks to the peak of the mountain and doesn't let anything slow him down. But every day you have to make that choice, right? It's not just a one-time thing where before you set out on the hike, you go, oh yeah, we're gonna hike to the top of this peak. No, every day your heart wants to go back to the city. Every day your heart wants to go back where it's warm and comfortable and cozy. And you have to make a determined choice to come out of the tent and head up the mountain where things will be harder and more difficult and more challenging and colder and more strenuous and tiring. But you do it for the sake of the pinnacle, right? What Proverbs 17, 24 is saying is that the person of discernment is one who has so clearly set his face to the pinnacle, which is living a life of wisdom and obedience to God, that he won't be distracted. But the fool is the one who's constantly looking at all the other potential options, and as a result, never puts wisdom into practice. And that's the end of the, the, the story for us when it comes to discernment. You might look at it and go, well, how, how do I be discerning, right? And if I'm supposed to test everything and I'm supposed to be discerning in every moment, well, how, how, do I even do, how do I even have the time to do that? Well, Hebrews chapter five, which you might remember from our study in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter five says this about discernment. In Hebrews 5.14 it says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. How is discernment developed in us? How do we become discerning people who set our face towards wisdom? We become discerning through constant use and constant practice, that there's repetition involved. There is a point down the road where when we've thought through what we wear and what we eat, when we've thought through what we're going to say and how we're going to respond to people, we thought through all of these sort of little, what seemingly mundane questions in our life, that when we've practiced them, when we've practiced being wise in those little decisions, you don't have to get up every day and go, okay, God, what shirt do you want me to wear, right? I'm going to close my eyes and spin in a circle and you have me point at the right shirt. No, 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 you can get up and just sort of make an instinctive decision because you've been trained to be discerning through repetition and practice. So what does it look like, though, in our choices? Not all of our choices are about what T-shirt to wear. Not all of our choices are about what sandwich to eat. For many of us, and probably some of you sitting in the room, there are very heavy and weighty questions sitting before you today, questions about where you're gonna go with your life and what you should do for a living and who you're gonna marry and where you're gonna live and how to invest your money, questions about what's gonna happen with your existing marriage and will it survive or will it not? How do you raise your kids? Kids, how do you respond to your parents, right? There are all kinds of questions that sit in front of us and how do we bring discernment to bear on the, the, the big questions of life? 
How do we set our faces towards wisdom in the big questions? Well, I think the Bible gives us a lot of guidance in that. And so this morning, in the time I have left, I'm going to move very rapidly through a very simple system, according to the scripture, about how we make choices with our faces set towards wisdom. If you're the kind of person who takes notes, you're going to want to pay attention because I'm going to move fast through a lot of things. If you're not the kind of person who takes notes, good luck, right? The way this begins, the way the process begins of setting our face towards wisdom and living a life in obedience to God is first to articulate the question. Articulate the question. And that might seem like, well, I I know what the question is, but I might ask you, do you know what the question is? I think sometimes we sort of see a surfacey question, but it has a lot of other questions underneath it. And because we live in a rapid fire culture that sometimes rewards people for making snap decisions, there can be a temptation in our life to make a decision about something when you haven't really thought through what the question is. And you feel like you're coming to answers, but you haven't really thought through the decision. The first step for us is to articulate the decision. I love what it says in Proverbs eighteen thirteen. It says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Have you ever given an answer before you've completely heard? Right? Somebody's talking and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know, right? This never happens in my house, right? We never do this, but I know many of you have this problem. <laughs> if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Look just a few verses down, Proverbs 18, 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. That's a good one, right? The one who speaks first seems like they know what they're talking about until somebody asks a couple of questions and then their whole case falls apart. Why? Because they move too quickly. We have to stop and articulate what the question is that's before us. Is it just a question about where you want to study? Is it just a question about what you want to do for a living? Or are there deeper questions sort of wrapped up inside that one? We have to slow down and think. As followers of Jesus, we have to slow down and think and articulate the question. That's the first step. The second step, the Bible shows us, is to acknowledge what God has already said right? To acknowledge what God has already said. It's amazing to me how many times I meet people and they're like, I'm just waiting for God to speak, right? And they're looking at cloud formations or they're trying to read the tea leaves or they're looking at the alphabet cereal in the bowl and trying to make it spell words, but there's not enough vowels. Have you tried that? It's really confusing. They're waiting for God to speak sort of supernaturally and I want to look at them and go, wait a second, have you already, have you already acknowledged everything God has already said? Because many times, and I would say there are probably some of you here this morning, that the question that's driving you this morning, God's already answered. That God's already articulated it, and yet you haven't taken the time to look at what God says about these specific things. So the second step for us to set our faces towards wisdom, to be people of discernment, is not just to articulate the question well, but then to acknowledge what God has said. It's why Psalms 119, 105 says, your word, O God, is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. It provides illumination for the route ahead. You can look at verses like um, Psalm 19, verses seven and following that say, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. 
You and I, if we want to be discerning, we have to pay attention to what God has already spoken through his word. We have to pay attention to what he said. That might be the last step. For many of you, you could be done right there. Because once you've discerned the question and you've ascertained what it is, then to look at what God has said and to find that he's spoken directly to it. You're trying to figure out whether or not God wants you to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. He doesn't. He's clearly spoken about sexual immorality. You're trying to make a a question about what you're supposed to do with the gifts that you've been given, whether those are financial or or physical or whatever. God wants you to use them in service of others. He's already spoken to that, right? You want to know whether God wants you to be hungry for money or hungry for fame or worship idols or all those things? God's already spoken. You could be done, finished, right? By paying attention to what God has already said, to listening to some of the, the things that he calls us to pay attention to. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's given us his word because he wants to guide us. That's why we have it. He wants to reveal something of who he is, and he also wants to reveal something of who we are in his teaching. So it behooves us to pay attention. I think about asking questions in that regard about using my gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, but take care lest this right of yours does not uh, somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In a passage that's saying you've got all kinds of freedoms, you've got all kinds of rights, but you need to think through and process whether your exercise of freedom is gonna shanghai somebody else, if it's gonna drive somebody else off the path, right? You have to pay attention to whether or not you're, you're causing other people to stumble, right? We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. We have to ask ourselves the question because God's word asks it of us. Is this choice I'm making for the good of other people? Does it build people up? It might be permissible. It might be okay for me to choose, but what will be the effect in the lives of the people around me? There are all kinds of questions that God's word will ask with regard to our decisions if we'll simply pay attention. So the first step is to articulate the decision clearly. The second step is to acknowledge what God has already said. The third step, right, the third step is to ask others, to ask others. And we have to start in asking others. The most important other we can consult is God himself, right? The most important outside voice that we want to pay attention to is the voice of God. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3 says this, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God says, ask me. Call to me and ask me. I love in Luke chapter twenty-two forty-one, 41, where Jesus himself prays to God. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Here's the Lord Jesus asking for guidance in his moment of trouble. We look at James chapter one, verse five, and it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. We have to pay attention to the voice of God. In places where scripture isn't 
incredibly clear, right? There are very clear things God has said, but in the places where God hasn't given real clarity to the decision you're trying to make, the next step is to ask God, God, give me clarity. And there are times where God will speak to you. There are times in my life where I feel like God has spoken very clearly to me about decisions I was supposed to make or places I was supposed to go, things I was supposed to choose, and that happened because I asked. And we also have to pay attention and we have to be discerning about the difference between God's voice and our own conscience or our own voices, right? I, uh, my buddy Brian was talking with his little daughter and she said, uh, she goes, Daddy, how do we know what God wants us to do? That's a pretty deep question for a little girl, you know? Daddy, how do we know what God wants us to do? And my buddy Brian goes, well, it's a good question. We read the Bible and then we ask God and we listen for his voice, you know? Just close your eyes and listen, pray, and listen for God to speak to you. And she goes, okay. So she kind of wanders off. He was washing his car. And then a a few minutes later, she comes back and she's got her shirt kind of pulled up and she's got it full of rocks. Like she stacked a bunch of rocks in her shirt. And he goes, "Uh, hey, hey, what are you doing there, Chloe? What's going on? And she goes, I asked God what he wanted me to do today. And he told me he wants me to throw rocks at cars. (laughs) Brian's like, I don't know if that was the voice of God. I'm not totally sure. You know, that might not have been him. So we want to be asking God to speak to us, but how do you know God's voice and how do you distinguish it from other voices? How do you distinguish it from the voice of the culture or your own hunger, right? How do you know that it's God leading you, not just your own flesh calling you? Well, the the way in which we determine the difference between God's voice and our voice is the same way we become familiar with anybody's. How How do you distinguish anyone's voice? Through familiarity, through relationship. The more you enter into a relationship with people, the more distinct their voice becomes, and you can identify it with your eyes closed in a room full of people because you spent time with them. It's true that when you start the process of trying to discern God's will, that you may sometimes have a hard time distinguishing the difference between God's voice and the voice of all the other inputs in your life. But in order to be able to focus, to set your face towards wisdom, what it takes is wisdom and repetition. It takes practice, like it says in Hebrews 5, and then you'll be able to determine the voice of God from the other voices. It's also worth noting that God is never going to speak to us and say things in contradiction to the things he's already declared, right? So God's never gonna speak to us in our inner being and lead us in a direction that is counter to what's already been declared in the scripture. So we... We, we, we have to articulate what the question is. We have to acknowledge what God has already said. We have to ask others. And that doesn't just include God. It also includes faithful brothers and sisters in the family of God, other people who've been walking with Jesus. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Listen to just a couple of these. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, where there's no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion, right? Have you ever been that guy? Ever been that girl who who isolates themselves? Because what? You don't have any interest in what other people would counsel. You want to do what you want to do. And so you make yourself alone. What's one of the great values of community? One of the great values of community is you've got other voices who can see, who can speak into your life. Other people around you that you can look at and say, I'm trying to make this decision. I've looked at what God has already said. I've been listening for his voice. And I'm interested to hear if he will speak to me through you. That's one of the great resources of the body of Christ, that we would walk in the counsel of other followers of Jesus. 
So we, we have to articulate the question. We have to acknowledge what God has said. We have to ask others. And then fourthly, we have to do an assessment. We have to assess the outcome. You have to think about what the byproduct of your decision will be. You have to think about what comes out of it. There are some things that are certainly uh, dangerous. Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it, right? The idea there is that sometimes we haven't taken the time to assess what is the outcome of, if I stay on this path, it goes off the edge of a cliff. And if we haven't taken the time to sort of think about that and redirect, what? There's lots of people who just drive off the cliff, right? That we have to think about the dangers ahead on the road we're choosing. We have to ascertain what happens there. Not only do we have to think about danger, we also have to think about the cost. But the spiritual cost and the financial cost, the emotional cost, physical cost, right? Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Now, evaluating the cost isn't to decide not to do it necessarily, but just so that you go into it with your eyes open, that you understand what God has called you to and what his expectation will be on that path. It's important for us to assess these kinds of questions. We also have to think about what the harvest will be from the choice we're making. What kind of an investment are we making? What kind of seed are we planting? Galatians chapter six, uh, verse seven says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So what kind of an investment is the decision you're making? Is it planting a seed of selfishness? Is it planting a seed of your own gain? Is it planting a seed of your own pride or your own greed or your own gossip? Or is it an investment in the kingdom of God that will harvest in righteousness and peace? We have to make these assessments. We have to sort of figure out what the outcome of our choices will be. And the most important assessment is, does it glorify God? If you and I were created to glorify God, if that's our purpose, from the ground up to know him and worship him, then I have to be thinking about my decisions. In, in this assessment, I have to be thinking, how do I glorify God in this? Which one of these things brings the most potential glory to God? The broadest possible impact. Sometimes that's very clear and sometimes it's not. You know, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, if, um, if we only ever had like two, two options, right? I know people sometimes that'll pray like, God, please close every door except the one you want me to walk through. You know, I got these 10 colleges I could go to or these 10 jobs I could accept. Just close every door except the one you want me to go through. I don't, I don't think that's how God works. I don't think God wants us to go through the only available option. I think God wants us to know him and to choose well. And that brings me to my last point this morning. That after we've assessed, it's important, it's vital for us to arrive at a decision. To arrive at a decision. I know lots of people who are just kind of treading water in their life. Because most of the time you've got a thousand good options and two thousand bad options. And of the thousand good options, after you've acknowledged what God has said, you've asked other people, you've sought the face of God, you've assessed the outcomes, maybe you still have 500 good options and you go, which one of these? And the reality is, any of them. Under that criteria, God gives you the freedom to make a choice. He's created you with certain gifts and abilities, with certain likes and dislikes, right? And so God gives you the freedom inside this framework to make any of those good choices and to trust that he will glorify himself in it. But we have to be decisive. There are a lot of people who are so paralyzed by the options in front of them that they choose nothing and they just kind of tread water forever. Remember that this Christian life is not meant to be the treading of water. It's meant to be a journey. It's a path. It's a hike to the pinnacle, right? And so we can't just stay in the tent. 
We can't just hunker down in the tent so we don't have to make the decision. There's a call for us to choose. There's all kinds of calls, but one of my favorites is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. God says this, Deuteronomy 30, 15. God says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. He sets choices before us on purpose. He puts these choices between blessing and curse and life and death and he wants us to to discern. And the only way we do that is by setting our faces to wisdom. We have to articulate what the question we're making, uh, the decision we're making actually is. We have to acknowledge what God has already said. We have to ask others, God and godly counsel around us. We have to assess the outcome of our choice and then we have to arrive at a decision. You know, we spent the entire summer talking about wisdom. I I wrote down some of the topics here. Faith and love, character, speech, stuff, family, work, peace, pain. But but the question this morning here is, is, what are you gonna do about any of that? You just happy you know it? Just feel good that you sat and listened to somebody talk about it and you might be able to answer a couple of questions if somebody asked you? I mean, I guess that's okay, but it's not the point of what we've been doing. The point of what we've been doing, as James said, is not just to be hearers of the word, but doers, that we poke our head out of the tent and we say, I want to live a life of wisdom to the glory of God. I'm not going to let anything get in my way. I'm not going to be distracted by the ends of the earth down the hill, right? And I'm going to live a faithful life. So, so th- then the question is, where is your face set this morning? Is your face set towards your own happiness? That would be true of a lot of Americans. Is your face set toward financial gain? Is your face set towards pleasure? Is your face set towards power? Or the perceptions of others? Or is your face set towards wisdom? Or or even worse, maybe your face isn't set towards anything. Maybe you're just trying to keep every option open. You haven't chosen wisdom, but you haven't chosen anything else either. You're just kind of treading water in your life. Can I tell you that the wise, discerning woman, the wise, discerning man sets her face, sets his face towards wisdom, but the fool's eyes are utterly distracted. You have to have resolution. You have to be determined You have to wake up every day going, this is the life that God has called me to live, and so do I. That's what being disciples of Jesus is all about. It's about forsaking our own plans to follow the lifestyle and teaching of another. And that's a choice we don't just make once, it's a choice we make daily. I wanna live a life of wisdom. You know, every other choice you make, every other choice you have before you today is dependent upon whether or not you have first set your face towards the wisdom of God. If you haven't set your face towards the wisdom of God, listen, every other choice you make after that's gonna be off track. 
right? Because you're just listening to the latest book or the latest teacher or the latest cultural trend or whatever else. Until you set your face towards wisdom, none of the other choices on the path can be good ones, except maybe accidentally. And so we have to set our faces to wisdom and not let our eyes continue to wander to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would help us to be individuals of discernment and wisdom, that you would help us to be a church of wisdom who understands the questions before us, who knows what you have said, who's eager to hear your voice and the voice of those around us, the godly counsel around us, that's able to assess the outcomes of our choices and to make then decisions, to be decisive in pursuit of your glory. We pray, God, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and that all these other things would come second. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.